If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the sensuous sounds of infosec where we discuss all things information all things security and all things information security i'm ben maliso and i'm matt snotty and i'm rafael fiedler and this week we have a very urgent episode something very near and dear to my heart white castle oh god white castle's ambrosia it is <laughs> White Castle is the staff of life. White Castle is amazing. Beyond its cultural importance, it's just good food. I, I, <laughs> I keep looking mystified. I, I never been to my castle. The only touch point I have, the only thing I know about Harold my and castle Kumar. is exactly yeah. that Herod and Kumar are looking for it. Their journey to it my is. castle low grade burgers that uh, uh, are only good for when you're drunk or high. Yeah. Bite your tongue. <laughs> For those of you like me who appreciate White Castle and everything it stands for, um, I would highly recommend the book Buy and by the Sack, all about the history of White Castle. It seems like a self-published work. Um, it's not really sophisticated. It has some typos in it. Um, but I tell you, it, it is an eye-opening book, and it's a fascinating history. I bet you all didn't know that... Uh, White Castle, uh, at one point, shipped actual burgers to someone who really, really wanted them, but did not have a White Castle in their area. Uh, and this was back, like, during World War II. And, uh, like fully yeah. cooked burgers? They, yeah. they, they cooked yeah. them up and packed yeah. them in hay and sent them in a crate yep. that says Fragile on the outside of it uh -huh. or something? Uh-huh. Yeah. White Castle's awesome. And and so now let's let's talk about... Let's talk about security and White Castle. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how can my burger be insecure, right? <laughs> or the opposite, how could it possibly be secure? Right? Yeah, well, yeah, also true. Also true. That they do use very high-grade beef. That was always a distinguisher. Um, the, the creator of White Castle went out of his way to ensure that. Um, but uh, White Castle had a, a bit of a problem in Illinois. Um, Illinois has a law. They have many laws, but they have one in particular that we're going to talk about. It's called BIPA. Bad name. Just a bad name overall. <laughs> and, and I'm not one for having those, you know, fancy acronym forced, you know, titles on your laws. But BIPA is just a bad one. Uh, BIPA is the Biometric Information Privacy Act, I think. Is, yes. Does that sound right? Okay. Sure. And, and what does Illinois say about this? It says that uh, um, nobody is allowed to harvest any biometric data on anybody else in Illinois without the uh, person who's being harvested 
without their express consent at each action. And it seems Which, a bit Go you ahead. think? I, I just wanted to say this seems like um, collecting biometric information because you cannot change it is not like requiring consent. Does not on on like on its surface. Of course, the the question is, well, how does consent look like, um, and how what constitutes as biometric information? You know. Okay. But... All right. Yes. Yeah. I, I and I see what you're saying, and and I think we're coming at it. Uh, from two different perspectives to the same point, which is the Illinois lawmakers may have had the best of intentions, yeah. but, but they don't understand the magnitude of what it is they wrote, right? Okay, yeah, sure. But if White Castle would have started collecting all the straws and uh, the saliva taking saliva samples, <laughs> I would be scared the fuck, you know? I'm like... <laughs> but you left it behind. How, you're, you're a biologist by training, right? Yeah, chemist, but chemist. Yeah, almost. So you're a chemist. How many skin <laughs> cells does a human being shed every day? Yeah, but those uh, don't have like usable DNA in it. Not even the saliva has particularly useful DNA in it. It was just. And why are you worried? No, uh, <laughs> just because it's scary. It's creepy and potentially scary. Like I don't know if it's if you're going there frequently over time, you can accumulate a nice set of DNA. You know, which which can be re anyway. representative. And, and, and let me ask you this: Is a facial photograph biometrics? That was my question, and this is sort of like where I'm like CCTV and stuff. Um, anytime I enter a bank, I'm expected to to get recorded or stuff like that. At least like with a bank or with an ATM or stuff. You know, this is where I'm expected to be recorded, and I don't give consent anywhere. No. So this no, is the don't. question why I'm asking: like, how right. does consent look like? Are and they saying like a, if you enter the property and is what is a biometric? Consent? And what exactly? You know, because yeah. according to most U.S. privacy laws, facial photograph is not a biometric, except under HIPAA, which is, uh, you know, only uh, um, uh, t tangentially a privacy law. It was not intended for that purpose. But they do list facial photograph as EPHI, electronic protected health information. Um, under GDPR, I'm not sure if facial photograph does, but the EU in general has a bunch of laws against public recording of faces anyway. Uh, in the U.S., we have no such thing. So it, it, these are the kinds of questions that really get awkward. Um, uh, I have not gotten a speeding ticket in Illinois for a long time. Uh, but I, <laughs> I have gotten a toll violation in Illinois, and they sent me a photograph of me driving the rental car I was in. Um, in Virginia, they sent me – I've had – several red light tickets in Virginia, and they send me a photograph of me driving the car where my face is immediately recognizable. So I couldn't even deny that I was the driver and that the red light camera was, you know, capturing something else. How often do so, you break break vehicle laws? <laughs> you sound like a terrible driver. You, you would think that was the case. You know, I haven't had an accident, I think, in 30 years. I, you know, I didn't just, ask about your accident record. I asked about how many times maybe. Gotten Maybe he was violent. just that desperate to get to White Castle. Who knows? You know. See, I, I, there's a whole movie how desperate priority. people can be. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes when you need to make a left turn, you're gonna make a left turn to get into the drive-through. Uh, so, so this 
you know, facial photographs are often captured. And that's just one example. There's a bunch of other examples of biometrics that we are harvested constantly. And whether or not we're giving consent is a very huge gray area, which is what I think, Rafti, you were implying. Does walking on someone else's property give implied consent for harvesting this data? But for the White Castle case in particular, it goes a bit beyond that. And uh, I think this all boils down to one particular employee. Is that this was not a class action? And I think that it started with one employee. Uh, the 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 case that I read, um, it did expand to a class action. Yeah. Oh, it did. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So so here's the situation in in January of this year. And I'm sorry, audience. I apologize to our three listeners. We really should have been on this topic a lot faster. Um, I, I should set a web search alert for all White Castle mentions in the news. It's that important. Uh, uh, somebody uh, started to sue White Castle about uh, their data being harvested without their consent. And this person was not a customer of White Castle, not a member of the public. An employee of White Castle, manager, I think. Is that correct? Uh, I didn't read that part, but uh, sure, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what it boils down to is every time this person had to clock in and out, every time they had to log into their um, administrative terminal to perform their work duties, they had to present their thumbprint in order to unlock the device. And this has long been uh, kind of a desirable end in our industry. Since 1999, I've been told passwords are gonna go away as access credentials, that we're all gonna go to biometrics. It's gonna be fast and efficient and perfect and delightful, right? Um, so this is what White Castle had implemented for I think both their uh, time clock and for their uh, work systems. And this person claimed that in doing so, this person's thumbprint was being harvested against, without their consent for every action, every time they logged into the system, every time they presented their thumbprint. Now, what, now that opens a whole bunch of interesting discussions by itself, but I think the really big one, the really interesting one is more of a legal question, not an IT or security question. The way the Illinois law is constructed, there are statutory damages for every occurrence. Yep. Mean, meaning that <laughs> if White Castle was found guilty, and spoiler, White Castle was found guilty, um, they would have to make a payment of a specific amount specified by the law for every time it occurred. Now, if this person was an employee of White Castle for, you know, a year, two years, every time they clock in and out, every time they log into their workstation, anytime they do anything, bing, that's $1,000 every time they put their thumb to the scanner. <laughs> and as, as this spread to a class action, all the employees were covered, or at least all of them in Illinois. And what did the what does this end up looking like? Did uh, you see in the article yeah, what the 19, estimated total? Yeah, yeah, nineteen billion dollars with a B. Nineteen. Uh, seventeen. Sorry, seventeen billion with a B. Yeah. Now it's ninety thousand. It's nine thousand uh, persons. So to get my things straight, it was two thousand per day per employee. Um over a five-year period, 
and um, apparently it was nine, like the personnel involved 9,000 people. I mean, it's a round number. I guess this is a rounding thing, but then 17 billion with a B. Yeah. So that's the numbers. $17 billion. <laughs> that's a lot of burgers. Yeah, that's a lot of burgers. They would never make that amount of money. Like and, in, yeah. in profits for those 9,000, over those 9,000 people, you know? There's just no way. Right. No. I mean, the, the, you know, and White Castle's not a small company. They're not as big, probably, as some of the other fast food chains. They're not um, McDonald's, but, but, right. they, but they are well known. They are well known, um, but they're more of a regional as opposed to international um, uh, provider. They're, they're not as big as, you know, probably even Burger King. Yeah, we um, have Burger King, we have McDonald's and we have KFC here in Austria and Subway, of course. Do you have Pizza Hut? <laughs> no. OK. Um, Interesting. And and Starbucks. <laughs> okay. All right. Right. Now, of those, maybe Starbucks could handle $19 billion. Maybe. But any company is gonna feel that. That yes. you know, that that's a world ender right there. That's the that's the extinction level event. That's the asteroid coming to hit you. Um, so this is a big deal. And again, I don't think the lawmakers were not out to destroy a hamburger chain. That was not what they wanted to do. Lawmakers wanted to protect people in Illinois from uh, disadvantageous use of their biometric data. Um, yeah, let's let's pull this one apart first, shall we? Um, first things first. Is it good security practice to use thumbprint scanners to access systems? Yes. You like that. Yes. Yeah. It makes everything easier. It makes it so that you you still have a password on the back end, but that password can be long and complex and you don't have to memorize it. You don't have to type it in. You don't have keying errors. You just swipe your, your fingerprint or your biometric and it enters, basically it enters the password for you. So yes, I, I, I love it. Rafti, uh, Matt gives it the biggest endorsement that anyone ever could. What do you think? I guess I'm okay. Okay. Fingerprints are like, it's okay. And it's, it's common practice around here, like for time stamping and stuff common. Okay. I I'm think we, a, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of biometrics and not from a privacy perspective. I mean, that is, that is certainly an aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I don't like it as a factor for several reasons. First of all, um, I've been, I've been doing some cooking uh, this weekend, and I hacked the heck out of my fingers. Matt, I think you sliced your fingertip off recently, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I've had multiple uh, kitchen and knife uh, issues with my hands, which is a dangerous thing in, in our line of work, but yes. <laughs> so, I mean, certain hobbyists, gardeners, people who work on their motorcycle on the weekends, you know, chefs, we're going to be nicking our fingers a lot. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other, you know, there's burns, there's all sorts of things. Um, biometrics, human beings don't stay static. Uh, so I have trouble with that. I also have trouble with the other sorts of biometrics, uh, such as retina scan and other things that use capillaries because there can be downstream medical implications of those things where you can learn something about the person's biometrics that goes beyond access control such as, is the person diabetic? Uh, mm -hmm. Is the person pregnant? You know, these are things that you don't want to learn when you're scanning someone's biometric. That's not something you were seeking to get. 
So I, I have trouble with that. I also have trouble with the fact that you got 10 fingers. How many companies can you go and be hired by and be assured that your biometric at your previous employer has been destroyed and is not going to be used anymore? Or could your previous employer use your biometric, gain access to your new employer systems? So the problem with biometrics, I think, is it's a finite pool in addition to the fact that we evolve as human beings. Um, so I, from a security perspective, I understand it, and I would like to get beyond password passphrase, but I'm not sure it's the perfect solution. Beyond that, you run into privacy implications. Now, this is the most stark example I've ever seen, but I, I think any company collecting PII about someone, and especially biometric PII, necessarily has to protect it in a certain way. There's all sorts of regulations that require these protections. I mentioned HIPAA, there's GDPR, there's, you know, PIPEDA in Canada. It, it, you just run into a whole bunch of them. You just don't have to store, of course, the whole, like, fingerprint. You don't have to store a picture of the fingerprint. That's usually not how it's done, you know? Good. And this is where Matt, when we first started discussing this uh, outside the episode, uh, this is what Matt twigged on right away. Matt, you want to talk about the case itself where um, White Castle's forensic experts and lawyers failed in their occupation? <laughs> yeah, so this case actually made it all the way up to, I guess, the Illinois Supreme Court. Um, and I actually read the the um, the ruling by the Supreme Court. Um, and in the briefing, the Supreme Court said, uh, with subsequent scans, the fingerprint is compared to the stored copy of the fingerprint. Defendant fails to explain how such a system could work without collecting or capturing the fingerprint every time the employee needs to access his or her computer or pay stub. Now, Matt, I'm not a digital forensics guy, but I think I could explain that. Exactly. Right? And the fact so they're that they're not storing the fingerprint, are they? Yeah. White Castle's experts, uh, whoever they were, and I don't know who they were, uh, failed to make the case that. Uh, the, the the photograph, the, the image of the fingerprint is never actually stored in any of these systems. And I think that if they had been able to make that argument successfully, this whole case would have been found completely differently, probably in White Castle's favor. The three of us on this show could have saved White Castle $19 billion. <laughs> Sorry, 17 it was. 17, Sorry, but 17, yeah. $17 billion. And we would have done it for... A tenth of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Easily, <laughs> easily. A seventeenth of that, yes. If, if, if there are any executives at White Castle willing to appeal this beyond the Illinois Supreme Court and up to uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, we'd be glad to step in. Oh, can you imagine the three of us, you know, showing up at court? You know, <laughs> in our suits. <laughs> the three stooges go to the court. <laughs> Uh, but, all right, so Matt, what's happening? It, it now here's here's the common understanding, and obviously this is the court's understanding after White Castle made its terrible, terrible defense. The, the common understanding is we take a picture of your thumbprint. Every time you want to get access, we're going to take another picture and we're going to compare the two pictures. Right. Right. That right. that's that's the idea. Why is that wrong? I think I know, but I want to hear it from you because you're smarter. <laughs> because that's completely illogical. That's making it sound like, uh, you know, an old dragnet police procedural from the 1950s or something like that. Where they uh, have like transparencies of the fingerprints right, and they overlap right. them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They magically overlay them and then every loop and whirl lines up and they go, ah, we got him. Uh, you know, get the squad car. 
<laughs> no, uh, no, that's not what happens. And digitally, uh, when you scan a fingerprint, if you've ever actually looked at a fingerprint scanner, most modern fingerprint scanners are a little tiny ribbon of metal. It's not even the size of your fingertip. You, you, you actually drag your finger across it. Um, but what it's doing is it's calculating uh, the loops and the whirls and the divots and the you know stuff like that that happens on your fingertip. And it's creating uh, a hash. We've talked about hashes many times in the past. And the hash is the only thing that is actually magical about anything. And the important thing about the hash is you cannot recreate a fingerprint from a hash. The fingerprint creates the hash, but it's a one-way transformation. You can't get the fingerprint back from the hash. The hash is then what's what's compared to what's stored on file. And if the hash matches, then boom, you've got your access. And let's let's just boil this down. I know we've talked about it before, but someone who hasn't listened to our previous episodes, first of all, everyone, go back and listen to our previous episodes. Rate us, like us, and buymeacoffee.com. Um, uh, but let's let's go ahead and restate hash real quick. A hash is a mathematical representation of something. And what, what you do is you take the something, whether it's a book, whether it's the digital image of a fingerprint, whether it's a piece of software, a document, whatever it is, you take that data, the, the ones and the zeros, and you put it through a mathematical function. And as Matt said, a one-way mathematical function. You're transforming a work of any length into a fixed length mathematical string, just a string of ones and zeros that represent that thing. It's sort of like, and I hate to do this because this is a terrible metaphor in this context, but it's like taking a fingerprint of the data. <laughs> and you can't restore data from the fingerprint, right? You can't restore a human being from their fingerprint. All it does is indicate that human being. With a hash, it indicates the thing you're hashing, but it's not the thing itself. Go ahead, Rafti, you wanted to jump in there. I just wanted to say, of course, this opens up that there is a false positive. Mm -hmm. And of course, the more of those points you make, the bigger the hash you make, the more, and, and in cases with fingerprints, because some people are like, oh, I can open your phone with a fingerprint. That was a case where the data matched up and your hash created. It's not that your fingerprint has to look anything alike. But the way it's measured and the way it's calculated by accident created a hash that was good enough for the device to open up. This, this is partly the reason why I don't like uh, biometrics either, uh, because it can be copied and stuff like that. But also because um, they have to have, because of like uh, injuries and stuff, some measure of wiggle room which of course opens up the potential for, for misuse and stuff like that, which is, it's not a security tool, but for, for clocking in and clocking out, that was good enough. But I just Agreed. want to quickly add this in there. Absolutely, it's, no, you're absolutely It's correct. not a 100% proof that that person has been there because there is has because to be a wiggle room in there. Correct, if you go too specific, if you get too perfect um, a if representation. You copy, if you yeah. copy a picture of the fingerprint and lay it over the other one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to get into all sorts of, of <laughs> false positive errors where you're giving access to people who shouldn't have access. Um, mm -hmm. So you have to make it somewhat weak, but uh, I, I understand your point. I, I, I get that. So, so, Matt, what you're saying is when White Castle first enrolls an employee, says we're going to give you access to the system, when the employee presents their fingerprint, it's not the fingerprint that's being captured. The fingerprint is being scanned. A mathematical representation of the fingerprint is being created. And then a hash is taken 
of the mathematical representation. And in fact, the mathematical representation probably isn't even stored, but the hash is. Is that right. correct? Yeah, yeah. By by and large, yeah. You don't pass around the actual mathematical representation. The hashes are the, are, are much more useful uh, to pass around in any in any authentication system. And they're smaller. I mean, just from a data storage standpoint, you don't want to store a whole mathematical representation of a fingerprint because it takes up space, yep. where a hash is usually a fixed length, 128-bit, mm -hmm. 256, 10, whatever, you know, 1040, whatever. Don't make me do math. 1024? 2044? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Powers okay. of two. Powers of two. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, doubling. Uh, backgammon. So, uh, <laughs> so realistically white castle if they could have explained this to the court could have avoided that huge liability right yeah 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 because if you, th if you think about it even when you sign into your computer system uh, or, or sign into a website a cloud system or something like that you're, it's not sending your password across the wire to that other place it's sending a hash of your password and then it's comparing the hash of that password to whatever the hash that they've they, they've stored yeah this is all it, 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 this is all basic authentication, security, computer science stuff. <laughs> I don't understand how it made it to the Supreme Court and it got shot down. I, I can't understand how they brought in a team of lawyers and nobody consulted with anyone who knows the rudiments yeah. of hashing, you know, of yeah. biometric systems and why the vendor of the biometric, you know, because I'm sure White Castle didn't build the biometric scanner. <laughs> Why they didn't invite the vendor in to explain how it works. Right. Yeah. Almost assuredly, this was some third party uh, payroll vendor, you know, Paychex or Paycor, one of these places that you you sub it out to. Yeah. They've got their standardized piece of um, hardware and, and yeah, subpoena one of them, <laughs> bring them in, <laughs> tell us how it works. And it's so ridiculous on its very face. Um, again, maybe it wasn't the best business practice, and maybe the state of Illinois is looking after Illinois citizens and employees, but it, it's just dumb because the risk isn't there. The, the security threat, the, the impingement on people's privacy and personal autonomy just isn't there. White Castle isn't doing anything wrong. Ar Rafti, you're as staunch an advocate as privacy as anyone I know. What do you think about that? Um, the, the, I'm torn as a business owner. That's part of it. You know, I love privacy, but as a business owner, I, I, the reason why people hate those systems is because no, they can't ask their friend at work to check, to clock in for them. This is at least every time Good. I heard that's, I mean, I think from a business standpoint, right? No. And, and from an ethics perspective, I think it's good as well in that regard. I think if you're late, you should be late and your employer should be okay with that happening sometime. If you're late all the time, then the employer should know and should talk to you, you know, and all the stuff like that. And, and as but far, from a but, privacy standpoint, was White it's just Castle a hash? Doing... No, yeah. that's okay. okay. They, like they have so many opportunities. As I said, like every time you pick up a cup or something to take your fingerprint off there, you're, you should not use your fingerprint for anything important. Right. If, <laughs> if they wanted to be evil Bond villain kind of entities, they could be much more evil than asking to hash your finger, right? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so this one really took me aback, and it took me aback more from the fact that nobody could explain something fairly straightforward. Uh, I think every one of my students, whether it was CISSP or SSCP or CCSP, I think they all know what hashing is. And, and, you know, I don't think you need to be 
uh, a forensically trained and certified expert like Matt to realize how ridiculous this is. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, the flip side of this is, to put it back on White Castle a little bit, HR has you sign a bunch of onboarding documents whenever you get hired on as an employee. And most people don't even read all the things. They just sign their name. Okay, you know, here's our acceptable use policy for the internet. Here is my uh, work and sick pay and vacation time. You know, sign off on this. From from White Castle's standpoint, it's pretty trivial to put in a little consent form that says, I consent to let you put, you know, uh, store my fingerprint hash <laughs> in your system so I can access my pay stub. <laughs> and, and White Castle... And White Castle should have been able to defend itself on at least these two grounds. One, the idea, the technological standpoint, and two, the procedural standpoint. Why didn't they have that consent form? Why couldn't they whip that out and show that to the court saying, yeah, they consented? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, now, the law, the law may have been constructed, and I haven't read the law, but the law sounds crappy anyway. The law may have been constructed as saying you need to acquire consent at the time of each capture. Yeah. And at and, that point, a blanket consent form would not work. Um, you'd need to have an OK button on the system. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Yeah. A, a big green button on the keypad that says I consent. Click OK. OK. Now I can scan my fingerprint. OK. I've, uh, I've given legal consent. And what's the problem with that? If you try to capture consent before you've captured the identity of the person granting consent, you have no way of demonstrating that that was the person who consented. <laughs> so you need to swipe your fingerprint first to identify yourself. Then you click the consent button. Then you swipe your fingerprint a second time. <laughs> it's just turtles all the way down. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's fingerprints all the way down. Yes. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I'm sorry. That one really hit home with me. Uh, I hope this does not bankrupt White Castle and put them out of business. I'm hoping that the claimants... See, and here's the problem. Here's the problem with laws like this, with statutory awards. The class that is making these claims, the people that is the people suing White Castle, the employees suing White Castle, can't even go into a settlement because the law doesn't account for that. The law says you will pay $1,000 per instance so the class can't say hey hey just give us 1.7 billion instead of 17 billion they can't even do that so i don't know what's going to happen this seems really egregious i agree but again the, or the i'm open to flying to the states to give also like witness um i i heard that that will be a central science of infosec meetup uh <laughs> and we're open to do it for way less money than what you would have to pay um all your employees, which is not to say that they cannot pay them something if they win, uh, but seventeen billion is way too much. But according to the law, they can't pay less than that. I know, I know, I understood yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, if they if they are like, okay, good, to to oh oh oh, if White Castle over, wins, they can still exactly. give some money to the okay, yeah, absolutely, and maybe we will. We'll cut them in. We'll buy them a coffee. What the heck? Exactly. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Again, wow. the, the, uh, I, we, I'm flying to to America. Don't know, like, I don't know which states to go. Like <laughs> Illinois, sadly, which I really don't want to go to. It's, it's <laughs> we'll see. They're the murder capital of the world right now. It's oh, not, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, that's just because of Chicago, mostly. That's Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> Iraq. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. 
But yeah, well, the, uh, that that Supreme Court opinion was handed down in February seventeenth of this year, twenty twenty three. So so apparently that case has been ongoing for some time. And the fact that we haven't seen that White Castle has gone out of business now in October twenty twenty three, I'm assuming they figured something out. I, I hope so, and I hope there, you know, if there is any other court to appeal to, if they can call it a constitutional question, although I'm not sure how, um, but if they can raise it to the Supreme Court, that'd be very interesting to find out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't even think Illinois wanted to put White Castle out of business. That's not their intent. Um, that would actually harm Illinois and, you know, the other states where White Castle exists in terms of tax revenue and employment and all the other mm -hmm. things, right? And yeah, delicious, because... delicious burgers. I mean, yeah, and, if, if you're a big corporation like that, you can always say, okay, guys, we're just, not, we're going to pull out of your state. We're, we're no longer going to do business in your state. And lawmakers don't want that either because they, they, they like having jobs. They like having employers. And they like the I, tasty, tasty burgers. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I just want to put this into perspective. Facebook had a privacy settlement with payouts in 2023 as well. And it was a settlement. I know, different thing. But their settlement... um with about 17.7 million Facebook users was for $725 million. So way less money for a company bigger and, than and White let's, Castle. Let's point this out because I think this is worth stating. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who aren't familiar with how class actions work, the attorneys who bring the class action and, and prosecute it usually get their attorney's fees off the top, which ranges from 30 to 40% in the U.S. And they can also bill for a bunch of other stuff on mm -hmm. top of that. Yep. So, so whatever the settlement is, first of all, about half is going to the lawyers. Then whatever's remaining is a portion to the members of the class if the members of the class make the claim. Yep. So for for instance, we talked about the Fortnite settlement a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the hats. I The reason I knew about that is because I received an email from the attorney saying I was a member of the class. Oh, you bought a hat? I, I, I guess I played Fortnite at some point. <laughs> and I don't remember buying anything. Hat, gloves, you know, shoes, nothing. And... um. They said, if you want to recover some of the damages, click here to file in the class. And they estimated that if I did so, and I did recover from the amount, I could get up to $7. <laughs> so yep. so for, the, for those Facebook users, if it, you said $725 million, Rafti? About 300 million goes straight to the lawyers. The 425 million that's left is split among the 17 million minus costs of disbursement and hosting and blah, blah, blah. And the bank takes a cut. Basically, you're getting peanuts. You can buy, yep. you can buy a stamp for, for nailing <laughs> your digital hat. But just because we said, like, and you're set, this could bankrupt White Castle. Um, this was why I wanted to bring this up why I quickly looked it up because like Facebook as a much bigger company had a had a smaller amount and of course they settled and it was not like some class action thingamajig it, it is it, it is a little bit different action, but it was oh not you're right statutory, yeah, but it you're was right. not statutory okay. damages okay 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 yeah but so it's a little bit different um and maybe White Castle could have negotiated with their 
9,000 employees, a lower amount, <laughs> but be said, being such a lawyer and looking at <laughs> a couple billion dollars. <laughs> the lawyers want it all. The, lawyer, yeah. the lawyers don't want a settlement. The lawyers, no. <laughs> the lawyers have no incentive to settle whatsoever. They found payday, you know? All right. Um, I'm sorry. We made this a little bit longer discussion about what <laughs> than I had intended. No, we it's, had good. No it's good. Good, 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 good to discuss, though. I think so. I think so. I think it hits a lot of things. And, and particularly the thing that drives this home to me again and again and again in these situations is lawmakers think they're protecting people, but they don't understand the technology they're trying to regulate. Um, which brings me, oh, to one other thing I've been meaning to talk about. And I just want to mention this real quick. Um, <laughs> our Musk scent category. Uh, SpaceX is having a bit of an issue where they're ready to start more testing of their next heavy. I think it's called the Falcon, Falcon? Heavy. Yeah. 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 The, big the one. Falcon Heavy. Yeah. And um, the way they do iterative development is they build something till it breaks, then they fix that thing and they keep doing that over and over again. They break all their prototypes. And then they create the rockets that have the least failure rate of any other rockets in history. Um, so they're ready to try their new, their Falcon Heavy again after they had to destroy the last one on launch. Um, and they can't get the FAA, the Federal Aviation and Aerospace Administration, to approve the launch itself in the u.s any american company that develops a rocket has to have the rocket approved by the faa even if the rocket and the launch is outside the u.s so you can't get around it by moving your launch pad to fiji and launching from there so the faa has been reluctant to approve the current iteration of the falcon heavy and <laughs> the thing that brings this to mind is the vice president of spacex said you know if we can design and build a rocket faster than the government can regulate it, that's a problem. <laughs> and I understand that sentiment, but I also understand when you're talking about innovative and cutting edge technology, it's hard to regulate because you haven't built the regulations yet, um, no. which doesn't mean we shouldn't necessarily regulate something that can be launched over, you know, a domestic populace and might fall on them. So I, I see both sides of that. Yeah, and uh, if, if I remember right, I, I haven't read any articles about the this most recent one, but when they did that last big launch of the Falcon, it caused so much damage to not only the launch pad, but the debris field from it was so egregiously large. And and it, like you said, overpopulated areas and stuff like that, that yeah, I, I remember the, the FAA, or I assume it was the FAA, immediately revoked any uh, certifications to allow launches. Uh, like, like For that model. Yeah, for yeah. that rocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it fell on SpaceX's own offices was was the debris field. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, parts of it. And, and again, credit to SpaceX because the rocket was still flying, um, but they noticed, you know, perturbations of it in, in its flight path. And they said, no, we have to kill it now before, you know, it goes somewhere we can't control it. Um, yeah. So So good for them. You know, they have good processes. Um, and they still have, they do more launches than any other entity, nation state or otherwise, um, every year. Uh, we wouldn't have space travel without them at the moment. Uh, so that's, that's a thing. 
I will say their technology to to reuse their boosters where they they land themselves back on the pad, that is something straight out of science fiction. And it is unbelievable to see. If you've never seen a video of it, go look it up. First time I saw that, I thought it was CGI. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it doesn't look real. <laughs> right. These things are just falling, and then they just right themselves, and fins pop out, and boom, they just land themselves right perfectly back on the pad. And and, and you and I grew up, Rafty, you're, you're nice and young, so you're in the future already. But Matt and I grew up watching every launch where there'd be separation of these components and they just fall away and they just yeah. fall in the ocean and they fall into space. And, and, you know, littering was how we did space for a long time. <laughs> and it still is like all the other stages still do that. It's yeah. only the, not, not the, you just boosting. the booster, not the other. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and, and I guess there is a sunk cost involved, but, uh, but even recovering that, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then finally, let's talk real quick about another business ethics topic, because um, I liked Rafti's perspective on the White Castle thing. Um, an executive at Okta, and Okta, for those of you who don't know, is a huge player in the identity federation market, meaning they store people's identity assertions and credentials, and then they present identity tokens to third-party services so that those users can get access to those services without logging in directly to those services. Um, Okta suffered a breach. And um, Okta didn't even know about their breach until one of their vendors kept telling them, hey, it looks like we're getting some fake tokens from y'all. You might want to look into it. And for two weeks, Okta refused to believe that this was the case. Um, and I think that happens a lot. And I think it probably happens even more because I think individuals may report these things to, to um, processors and processors ignore claims from individuals. They'll only listen to business partners. Go ahead, Rafti. I just wanted to say like quickly and... In my case, so uh, you would not believe how many people are sending us um, false reports where they thought they have outsmarted us, and they're saying, "Well, your your private tunnel thing it leaks your it leaks my DNS. I'm so sure I have proof." And we and I, I the first I'd say ten times I went down that rabbit hole, and it never proved right. So. Um, now so I'm you sending understand them the business's perspective. I also understand it. I sent them already a list and are like, if, if those, if like go this down and if you're at the end, still believe that you're like, show me the results. And if you either, you don't understand what you're talking about, or, um, you just have misread something somewhere. And so, yeah, it's it never like <laughs> somebody, they, they often try. It was never true. And so, at some so, point you get resilient, you know, and yeah, at some point okay. you're like, you're all, you're love my customers. But at some point you're saying, yeah, like you're all stupid. <laughs> you, <laughs> this is not your, your expertise. And I understand and I sympathize, but I can't deal with it every time. You build up calluses and yeah. dealing and dealing with the public. You have to do that. Matt, <laughs> Matt, you kind of have the privilege of you get to pick your customers because <laughs> you're not dealing with the public. <laughs> Um, yeah, if I have a customer that complains to that level, uh, yeah, let's <laughs> see. You could just fire them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see, and and I don't even sell technology. I just sell information. And um, I'll have people, you know, message me and say, the answer to this question is wrong. I can't and, imagine. <laughs> and 99 times out of 100, no, it's not. Um, you know, but... 
<laughs> but sometimes, yeah, you know, there I, maybe I did a typo or something got transposed when we entered in the app. Sure, you know, great. And I'll reply to everyone. But but just like Rafti said, the users, you know, the users who email me with a problem, I love that. That's great. They're interacting with the product, and I'm very happy for that. It's the users who want to argue for six exchanges of emails. The one, the one that sticks out in my mind, and I'm not going to name names, of course, but the <laughs> user kept telling me, what about X topic in this material? And I think it was CISSP. And I said, well, that topic is not in the exam outline. That's why it's not addressed in my content. And they said, yes, it is. And Rafti, I don't know if you've had this experience, but there's that imposter syndrome niggling doubt where, <laughs> where I'm like, oh, shit, did I just, did I miss that, you know? Yeah. And then I had to go back to the exam outline. I had to do a control F search for that topic and all variants of spellings and, and namings of that topic. And no, it's not in there. Yeah. And then I, I realized where that topic came from. It's somebody else's book who gets into that topic because they think it's related to something on the exam outline. And I had to go back to the person who was emailing me and saying, here's the link to the exam outline. If you find that topic in there, I'll add content about that. Until that point, I'm right, you're wrong. Shut up, go away. Yeah, and I did it more pleasant than that, obviously. <laughs> but not much. <laughs> not much, not much. At a certain point, you can't. At a certain point, they don't listen to reason, right, Rafi? Right. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to say, because you said imposter syndrome, I think it's just an, and I would not say it's imposter syndrome necessarily, but an, an good amount of humbleness where you're like, I, I make mistakes, which is so important in this industry, it's thinking you're right all the time. But at some point, if so, if you have heard and seen the same question over and over again in the same arguments, and as you said, like six emails back and forth, I can imagine that the Octa people are just like, we've seen this. Yeah, of course. Of course you think so. Yeah, sure. We will investigate <laughs> eventually. <laughs> so so I, sympathize, I sympathize with Octa up to that point. And then they did, they were humbled and they did recognize that the breach had occurred and they started doing what they needed to do. Now, that's Feel not horrible, of course. It's still horrible. Yeah, I agree. That's not the ethics question. <laughs> okay. The ethics, the ethics question, and I'm not going to name the name, even though it's public knowledge. The ethics question is: a security manager at Okta sold a bunch of her shares in the company while the investigation was ongoing. Now. Matt, I, I'm, I want to hear your take on it in just a second. But before we say anything else, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with doing that? Was it public, the investigation? Did people know? Not at that point, I don't think. At least it wasn't broadly known. Let's put it that way. So what's wrong with that, Rafti? Me now. Okay, yeah, um, insider trading. Like, I, this is... I don't know. We have a word it for it. Is. It kind of is, <laughs> right? How, how is it only kind of? You know something that the public does not, that your shareholders do not yet, you know? And you're you're acting upon that information in the way that's detrimental for everybody else, you know, later on. Or at, at least the person who's, who's buying it, you know? Uh, that's just dishonest. And I'm going to take that just one step further. If somebody in the marketing department did that because they found out about the breach, uh, I, I, I think it stinks, but I don't think it's absolutely horrible. 
What I don't like is when someone in the security office does it. That to me just seems more egregious than anything else. Now, Matt, add mm-hmm. some clarification. You looked into this particular filing as well. Uh, go ahead, throw throw it out there. Yeah, I actually pulled up the actual SEC filing for for the person selling off these these shares. Um, so first off, the person sold three hundred thousand dollars worth of shares, essentially. Um, while they were still worth $300,000. Now, obviously, once the breach uh, becomes public knowledge, the, the the general consensus is those shares are going to be worth less. So the person didn't want to sell them when they were worth less, wanted to sell them when they were worth more to make more money. So $300,000 worth, and, you know, I think the, the stock dipped maybe 20% or something like that. So she, I say she, <laughs> the person would have. It was she, that's okay. I kind of <laughs> let it out of the bag. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, they, uh you know, probably made sixty k. Yeah, sixty thousand dollars more than if they had waited. Uh, you know, another week or two weeks to to sell those shares. Now, looking into the the, the actual SEC filing, though, this was only three thousand and some shares. This person, uh, uh, according to the the filing, owns considerably more shares than this. So she wasn't liquidating her entire stake in right. the company she worked for. Right? Exactly. Right. I mean, this was, you know, uh, uh, you know, less than 10% of, of, of that person's holdings of, of, of stock in this company. So if they were being truly malicious, they would have dumped all of it and made as much money as they could while they could. And, and in fact, this person did do a similar larger liquidation a couple of months previously. Yeah, yeah, almost exactly 30 days previously, they had sold off um, well over $100,000 worth of shares as, as well. And and that was not related to anything in the news at that time or anything like that. So. so so, they may be slowly, gradually rolling out their stock in order to buy a house or to do whatever it yeah. is they're going to you know pay for their kid's education, pay off their blackmailer. I don't know. Whatever it is that they're... <laughs> This seems yeah. like it was a scheduled liquidation. It doesn't seem like it was something they were doing in response to the news of the breach, right? Maybe that, the amount yeah. was high. You said it was 100K a month prior. So maybe yes. it was triple that amount because they're like, okay, good. Now this is happening. <laughs> I would <laughs> well, have to, it will take a dip. I'll, I'll triple that amount. Yeah, and, and, and fair, the, the, yeah, the filing also says when the person acquired that stock, which was uh, probably as a part of a, a stock option purchase agreement or something like that, and they had just acquired the stock maybe sixty days prior. So, it, they, they 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 weren't like. I think this is fairly common in large corporations. You don't hold on to your stock options for a long period of time. You want to liquidate it, get that cash out of it, and do other things with it. So they they held on to the stock for a couple of months, and then they decided to sell it. And that might have been the couple of months that statutorily they're required to hold it before liquidating it. You know, I, I, again, they're treating it more like a bonus than yeah. a long-term investment, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's okay. So. And that's okay. Here's my issue. It has nothing to do with whether this was a legitimate transaction. It has to do with the appearance of the transaction. And I hate to say that because we shouldn't run our industry on emotion. But if we want people to trust us, and that's what it all boils down to at the end of the day, we need to have an appearance beyond the utmost propriety. We have to look like we're incorruptible. We have to look like we're always going to be on the good side. Um, so even if this, even if she had decided she was going to do this anyway, and she was just waiting to do it, um, she probably should have held off for a little while just to take the curse off of it. That that's kind of my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, Okta also assumedly 
has not just got one person in this position of power. They've got probably dozens, if not hundreds of upper management that, that hold stock options. And we're just focusing on this one. <laughs> Were there other ones? <laughs> and I don't know the answer to that. I, I honestly don't know either. This is the only one that was made apparent to me and, and good for the people who are reporting on that. Um, the watchdogs, that, that's worthwhile. But again, you know, honestly, as the person I am, I'm less concerned with other executives doing it and more concerned with security personnel doing it. What it does is it stinks to me of the similar activity that we saw at, uh, was it Equifax? When their ent entire team of security personnel liquidated their shares, it was 14 people, I think seven of whom were ISC Squared members, um, and they all did it when they found out about their particular breach before it became public knowledge. That, to me, was a lot more sordid. Yeah, yeah. that's very egregious. Yeah. Now, do you want to get into, you know, stuff like Congress people who also have stock options, who, who find out about stuff way before it's going to hit, you know, who pass laws about the <laughs> industries they're invested in? Yeah, I, I have trouble with that one. I, right. have, so I have a lot of trouble. There are that. much bigger forms of, of corruption in the capitalist uh, uh, stockholding society that we live in than just this one person. And I think it's a little bit unfair to pick on this one person. But if you want to make this one a, a, an example, then, yeah, I can I, I can certainly follow your logic that, yeah, it doesn't look good. And, and I'm not naming her because I don't want to shame her because, again, I do think that what she was doing was legitimate. I do think that this was not an intentional form of corruption. It's just the appearance of it. And I would have preferred that of her own volition, she would have waited a bit longer. Yeah. That's and all. and what I like or what I think is, is good as well, because you said like in our industry, um, trust is an important part. And I would say with government, of course, they should do it as well. But they should police themselves and we can police us a little bit and say, well, in our industry. We want to not sink down to the standards of, I don't know, Congress, Congress people <laughs> who are like selling stock uh, based on laws they're going to pass or something, you know. Um, I I just think that this is a good thing, like promoting it out there for anybody who's listening. We believe that we and, and I would say so, like if somebody like down a couple of years will hold me to this, please do, please do. And I think it's important to say this is the standard we should live by and should aspire to. And I never had any illusions that members of Congress were incorruptible to begin with. I, I never I never held any undue trust in them because I never trusted them. Um, but Rafti, we're going to be watching you. I know you're just ready to cash out a safing and, and run off to Fiji. I, I know that's your grand plan. Um, we're we're going to watch you like a hawk, buddy. <laughs> And safing goes public. He, he better be gifting us some stock options after all Hells these years yeah. of putting up with him. <laughs> yeah. Buy me a coffee. We also take stock. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I know we had a few other things we want to talk about. We'll save it for a future episode. Anything y'all want to add about these topics or others? Um, just one other thing. Uh, this will be dropping. I'll be back from ISC Squared Security Congress. If I met you at Security Congress in Nashville this week, though, I uh, just uh, trust that I was happy to meet you. I assume that everyone that I met was great and wonderful, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk in the future about that. Yes, and the following episode, we're going to want a list of all those people so we can shout them out on the air, especially if they buy you a drink. I suggest writing it down, Matt, because after a certain number of drinks, you're not going to remember their names. <laughs> after after one i probably actually not even that i probably won't remember it even if i'm stone sober 
Uh, well, good. Enjoy, represent, carry the uh, Centrist Sounds flag, and uh, and have a great time. I, I think you'll enjoy it. I've been to previous Congresses, and uh, th- they're always a great uh, place just for networking, not even the mm-hmm. sessions and, and training and stuff like that. Yep. Rafi, anything you wanted to add? No. All well. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Thank you all. Until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Rafael Fila. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rafti, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications? Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. That's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel WannaBeACISSP. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to Ben at BenMaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.